to home in on one verse this morning, a text for sermon is in verse 39 of chapter 2. Uh, so if you have your Bible, please uh, turn to that now. Peter, uh, as he preaches to those who uh, are cut to the heart with their guilt and ask what he must do, uh, calls on them to repent and be baptized, and then says, the promise is for you. More correctly, for the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call the promise. As we, the long-suffering electorate of uh, the UK, go yet again to the polls, uh, we're bombarded by promises. Every political party woos the electorate uh, with different promises. Promises of better living standards, promises of better organised rail networks, shorter waiting times at hospitals and so on. And I think it's true to say that we are getting more and more cynical about the promises that politicians make. Uh, Very often they make the promise with good intent, but maybe they simply don't have the political numbers to put into effect that which they promised. Take, for example, that ill-fated promise that Brexit would be delivered by uh, 31st of October. Well, we're accustomed to promises being broken and therefore we get cynical about promises, but there are situations in which a promise can really sustain somebody through a difficult period of of life. Take, for example... uh, a promise uh, made between a man and a woman in a military situation. A woman has a fiancé who's serving with the Navy on an 18-month posting. And she's meeting up regularly with other wives and girlfriends at naval social events. And many of them are are worried about what uh, their men are getting up to so far away from home. But she has an inner calm. And when asked uh, if she thinks that he would, if he'll still be up for marrying her when he comes home after this long absence, she simply replies, I have his promise. I have his promise. Now, the value, of course, of a promise like that depends on the character of the person who is making the promise. And the big question, is this somebody who can be trusted? Or is this a rogue who simply says something uh, to, to get his way? Well, God uniquely can be trusted to keep his promise. God is a God who makes promises and who can be trusted. The Bible tells us God is not man, that he should lie. And what we have uh, in verse 39 of Acts chapter 2 is reference to a promise or the promise. That's a promise that is directed uh, amongst other groups to our children. Uh, It's a promise which is signified in baptism. So we're going to look at this promise, but first of all, we're going to look at the God who makes promises. In Peter's back catalogue of sermons, the sermon that Peter preached on the day of Pentecost uh, was the standout sermon. Down through the ages, the, the electricity that arced from preacher to people can still be felt as we read and hear 
the sermon on the day of Pentecost. And we can visualize Peter standing up there in front of a large crowd. Remember, there's several thousand people in front of them. And looks directly at them. Eyeballs the people and declares to them, this man Jesus was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. But God raised him up, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible that death should keep its hold on him. Now, everything about the day of Pentecost should be understood in terms of a God keeping his promise. There are many, many uh, promises which are being kept uh, on this day. And also, uh, I think it's true to say that virtually everything that Peter says challenges some of the assumptions, some of the presuppositions that modern day secular people have about what it is to be human about what uh, life is all about. And we're going to look at some of these along the way. The first promise that has been kept is the promise that God made that he would send a deliverer. And we go right back to the beginning. We go to the the book of Genesis, first book of the Bible, chapter 3, very near the beginning in verse 15, where after men have, uh, Adam and Eve have rebelled, God says that uh, the the seed of the woman, in other words, a descendant of Eve, will crush Satan's head. There's going to be enmity between uh, the, the, the line of the woman and the line of Satan, and it's going to reach a finale in God's uh, deliverer, defeating conclusively Satan. That has come to pass with the cross of Calvary. On the cross of Calvary, Jesus, the Deliverer, has defeated Satan. Now, we find straight away that when we uh, look at this particular promise, we're up against the first pushback that we have from, from a secular mindset, because the very idea of needing a Deliverer is something which is quite alien to many minds. Uh, we don't think in terms of ourselves uh, being uh, in need of saved, of salvation, of being forgiven. Uh, We don't accept, naturally, the idea that the Bible teaches that we're somehow hardwired to rebel against God, uh, that we we are pulled towards self-worship and self-destruction. That challenges our presuppositions. People believe that uh, we're inherently good and what needs to happen is that the goodness that's within needs to be somehow released into the world. But we can't deny the fact that very often we're messed up and when we have to acknowledge that we generally uh, look to excuse ourselves by blaming it on our environment or an abusive parent or something else. But the Bible tells us that our problem is with a heart that turns away from God. Our problem is inward, it's radical, it's original. And we're not going to be baptising a little girl today because we're celebrating her innocence, but because baptism, as we see, acknowledges our need because we're sinful. 
Now, someone has said that a parent uh, reveals their character by the way that they respond to rebellious children. It's a kind of awesome thought in many ways. Uh, But we certainly see that in God's context, because when uh, Adam and Eve rebel, we see God, first of all, uh, showing his justice by confirming Adam and Eve and their alienation from him, but also showing his kindness by promising restoration through a deliverer. And right there at the beginning, God promises that there will be a a descendant of the woman who will strike this fatal blow against Satan. And the story of the Bible is the story of God keeping that promise, of this line that stretches from Eve uh, down through Abraham, down through uh, David and the kings, until at last, in Bethlehem, in the quiet of the stable, the promise is kept with the birth of the Lord Jesus. And there on the cross, the crushing of the serpent's head is fulfilled as Jesus pays the penalty for our sin. God is keeping his promise. But it didn't end there because there was also a promise that not only uh, would Satan's head be crushed by uh, the seed being bruised by going to the cross, but that the deliverer would rise from the dead. And we have that promise uh, in the Psalms. David speaks prophetically of the resurrection of the deliverer. And Jesus has been raised in power. And Peter can speak to people who, who have to acknowledge that Jesus has been raised. Peter is giving his sermon to a crowd uh, who have come to Pentecost to celebrate the feast, who have just witnessed some amazing phenomena. Uh, They have seen those that gathered waiting on the Holy Spirit speaking in other languages. And because they are an international gathering from all countries around the Mediterranean, they are amazed that they are able to understand people who don't come from their country but who have been given the spiritual gift of speaking in another language. And again, this was promised in the Old Testament. It was promised specifically by Joel the prophet. But it's also fulfilling another of God's great designs for humanity. Because way back, uh, it was languages which split up the, the peoples of the earth. At the Tower of Babel, when people conspired uh, to, to reach out to God. God dispersed them by confusing them through language. And now we have Babel being reversed, as it were. Uh, now people are able to understand one another in the giving of these languages. God is giving a sign that he's creating a new people who will be united by community and understanding because of faith in Jesus. God is keeping his promise. Every count. God is showing, I am the God who makes promises and I am the God who can be trusted. And therefore, when Peter speaks of the promise, we sit up and we take notice because this is something that comes from one who is utterly trustworthy. For the promise, Peter says, is to you and to your children and to those who are afar off for all whom the Lord our God will call. Now, there are three questions which naturally arise. First of all, what is the promise? The promise that Peter speaks of 
is nothing less than salvation. Uh, he, he actually, what he actually said is, for the promise is for you and your children. Then I read it, we're using, it doesn't translate the little connecting word, but if that word was there, as it should be, it will be uh, reflecting back on what has been said. Uh, and Peter has been speaking about forgiveness of sins. And he's been speaking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's that which the promise refers to. So Peter is speaking about spiritual life through the forgiveness of sins, through the clearing of the barrier of our sins, that we might have a relationship with God. Now, that word promise that's used here by Peter is almost a technical word in the Bible. Uh, We find it used when God makes a covenant. God often makes covenants in the Bible. He makes covenants with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob and David and so on. And when God makes these promises, he makes uh, them accompanied by a visible sign. So when God makes a promise to Abraham, he tells Abraham that he must circumcise uh, his, himself and his sons. as a sign of the promise that is given. In the New Testament, uh, we have the, the sign given to accompany the promise of baptism. So God makes promises or covenants. Now, the promise that Peter's talking about is not some new promise that has been invented to replace everything that went before. It's the same promise, it's the same covenant that was made with Abraham. Uh, At the heart of the promise that God made to Abraham is salvation. Back in Genesis uh, 17, verse 7, uh, God makes the covenant in these terms. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you to do what? To be your God and to be the God of your descendants after you. That's what the promise is. That God would be my God. That God should become your God. That we should shift in our relationship with God from simply acknowledging, if we do, that there is a God, to coming to know this God in a personal way. That was Abraham's blessing. He walked with God. He could count God as his friend. Now, this doesn't mean that Abraham was was a perfect man. In fact, uh, when we read Abraham's story, we see that at least on one occasion, uh, he doesn't learn from his mistakes. He goes back over old ground making the same mistakes. He's just like you and me. But by faith, Abraham is brought into this living relationship with God. And now Peter is republishing this promise. He's declaring to the people in front of him that they too can know a relationship with God. They can be friends of God. Even although their sin has separated them from God, God has done something, the death and resurrection of Jesus, that deals with that. And we can know God as our friend. Folks, that is an amazing promise. There is no greater privilege that you or I can know than to have God as our friend. Uh, We can say... uh, In the words of David, we sang Psalm 23, 
early on. You can sing with them. The Lord is my shepherd. Therefore, I'll not want anything. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just the shepherd. He's not just the God who is out there. But he's my shepherd. Uh, He cares for me. Uh, He has provided for me. Uh, He delivers me daily. And he will keep me until at last he takes me to be with him. Friendship with God is the promise. That's the content of the promise. God is a God who makes promises. And when Peter preaches at Pentecost, it's the same promise made to the people in this New Testament era that God made with Abraham so long ago. They can come into a new relationship with God. They can become friends with God. Now, once again, we find that there's a a pushback from uh, the culture around us because uh, we live, for example, in a a day of identity politics. We think of the things that uh, people look on to to define themselves. What what gives people their identity? It tends to be things like, like gender or race, or sexuality, and uh, people identify or self-identify by all of these things. And the gospel proclaims that we find our new identity in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And everything else is overshadowed by that. You know, if you were to uh, read through the the fourth of the the Gospels, uh, the Gospel of John, Uh, One of the interesting features of John's Gospel is that uh, John, who's writing, doesn't refer to himself by name. He refers to himself all the time as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John is saying, you want to know anything important at all about me? I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. You were to meet John at a dinner party and you'd never met him before and uh, you're making introductions. John would say, hello there. I'm the disciple that Jesus loves. That is what is more important about me than anything else in the world. Through faith in the cross of Calvary, I have Jesus as my friend. That's the promise. That's what's on offer. That's what the cross achieved. But secondly, to whom is the promise given? To whom is the promise given? Is it given to me? Is it given to my family? Is it given to the kind of person that I am? That's an important question, isn't it? Uh, Are we excluded? Is there some small print that is going to disappoint us? When we lived in Skye, this was always the... the, uh, the thing with uh, ordering on the internet. You know, you came across some, some great deal on the internet and you're all keyed up to, to press the, the, the order button. And then you saw this infuriating small print. Uh, delivery uh, not available to the Scottish Islands and IV50 postcards, postcodes. That was immediately as ruled out. The promise wasn't made to us. All very well to have a great promise, but you need to know if it's directed to you. Peter spells it out. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off, 
for all whom the Lord our God will call. These are also the three categories that we have in the Old Testament, as we'll see. First of all, the promise is for you. The promise is for you. Just as Abraham was given a promise, Peter is now speaking to those in front of him and telling them that these people, this large international gathering, people who've come a long distance in order to uh, take part in this big religious feast in Jerusalem. The promise is for them. The promise is for religious people. You ever thought about that? The promise is for people who go to church regularly. The promise is for people who, uh, those that look on the outside, think that they're Christians, but they themselves perhaps know that they're not. You may be here this morning and you're a regular churchgoer, maybe not in Hope Church, but somewhere else. But actually, you're not trusting Jesus and you, you really know that deep down. And the promise is for religious people that they can move beyond simply having a formal relationship with God to a living relationship with God. He can be your God. By trusting in Jesus, he can uh, be your God through a personal relationship. Maybe you're in that category. The promise is addressed to you. And the promise is for your children. Now, here again, this is where the the comparison with the the promise that Abraham receives is important. Uh, There, it's it's personal. It's to you. Uh, it's to your descendants, and then it's worldwide. It's got the same categories. To you, your children, those who are far off. Abraham has it to you, your descendants, your family. And then in, in, it's more clear in chapter 12, uh, verse 3, God says, I'll, in, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. It's a worldwide uh, promise also. So this promise has the same content as the promise mentioned by Peter, it's addressed to the same categories of, pe- of people. Acts 3.25 uh, speaks that same uh, language when Peter says, you are the heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. The promise is for the children of believers. The promise is given to our children. Bump. There's another uh, Pushback from secular culture because uh, secular culture today, 21st century Scotland, how individualistic we are. We don't really think in families very much. We don't think in terms of the unit of the family. We think in terms of individuals. The Bible thinks corporately, thinks of family groups. Blessing comes to families. Someone's converted. Someone comes to Jesus, trusts in Jesus. And the blessing spreads into the family. The baptismal signs put on someone who comes to Jesus as an adult and is also given for their children. Abraham is given the promise for his children and consequently not only he but his children receive the sign of that promise, circumcision. And what children are given in the Old Testament It's not taken from them in the new. To them also is given the promise. To them is given the sign of the covenant. 
which is now baptism. To you, to your children, to all who are afar off, to all whom the Lord will call. To all who are far away. You know, that's, that's quite a, an evocative uh, description, isn't it? To those who are far away. You sometimes feel far away. You feel maybe this morning, if you're, if you're just in, in church and it's an unusual uh, circumstance for you, that in many ways you feel far away. You feel like a fish out of water. Well, the, the great news is that there's a promise for you if you feel far away. Because the promise is to those who are far away, uh, for all whom the Lord will call. Now, you may not feel... Uh, as the people that Peter was addressing, you may not feel guilty, you may not yet acknowledge that you're uh, a sinner and need to be saved and, and you haven't come to that point yet when uh, you're looking to Jesus. But take heart, take encouragement. If God is speaking to you this morning, uh, if there's something within you that's echoing to, to the Word of God, if you're seeing in, in the Word of God this morning, true, true, if God is calling you, then you're not excluded from the promise. There's an entitlement for you here in these words in Scripture. So the question is, how do we receive that promise? How is that promise received? Uh, it's all very well, perhaps, knowing that uh, we're entitled to what is promised, understanding that the promise is salvation. How is it received? Well, Peter spells it out for us. We're to repent and be baptized. And sometimes in the Bible, uh, repent and faith are used uh, independently of the other, but they mean both. Now, to, to repent is to change your mind. And to have faith is to depend on Jesus. And as a token of that, as a sign of that, uh, the sign of baptism is not an option, but it's a command. And therefore, the promise is to you. And to obtain it, you're to change your mind and you're to rely on Jesus. It's a promise if you're a religious person, if you're a church goer but haven't really got a, a relationship with Jesus. You can know God as your friend through trusting in Jesus' death and resurrection, relying on him. If you want your family to follow Jesus, then you need to bring them up in faith and not fear. Uh, you need to recognize that God has given huge privileges by having uh, one or more parents who trust in Jesus. Put the sign of the covenant on them. Pray for them. Point them to Jesus. Practice what you preach. Bring them up in faith. And of course, if you're far away, feel a million miles away from God this morning, this promise has your name on it also. You're not excluded. Have a change of mind. Look away from yourself and look to Jesus and trust in him. Depend on him and your sins will be forgiven. And you'll be a friend of God, though he seems far away right now. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That is the promise. May God enable us by faith to lay hold of that 
glorious promise. May God bless you. Amen. I'm just going to get the children down from the Sunday school. We're going to uh, to sing. Uh,